Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So I am so honored and excited to be sitting down today with Caleb Dahlgren. Caleb is the former assistant captain of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. He is a philanthropist, author, and survivor. Caleb was one of 13 survivors of a tragic bus crash that took the lives of 16 of his Broncos teammates, friends, and coaches. Today, Caleb discusses his experience with trauma, coping strategies, his incredibly positive attitude towards life, and how he continues to grow and heal from the traumatic event that changed his life over five years ago. This is such an incredible episode of resilience and strength and having a positive attitude. And I really think we could all learn something from Caleb. So let's get into it. Welcome to Invisible Scars, Caleb. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. For those of you who don't know, although I'm sure everyone does, you were the former assistant captain for the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. You're a philanthropist, author, and survivor. So you were one of 13 survivors in a tragic bus accident that took the lives of 16 of your teammates in Humboldt. Before we dive into that, though, I just kind of want to get to know you a little bit and take it back to the beginning, um, because you really do have an incredible story even prior to your time in Humboldt. I like to start every episode kind of letting people know what I'm doing to stay on my healing path. Cause I have a, I have a, we all have a story, right? And I like the person that I'm interviewing who has also been through something to kind of let our listeners know what they've done, affirmations, mantras that you tell yourself to kind of get through the trauma. And now that you're in the healing phase of things, what's kind of gotten you through it? Awesome. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for having me on here, Jessalyn. I appreciate it. And it's so great to be helping out and helping others listening to this. So for me, there's quite a few things. I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life that have built resilience and given me strength. And so for, I guess, after the crash, we can use, for example, some things that I really did that really benefit me. And even today, things that I do is I do three things when I wake up. I do a gratitude journal. I write that three things I'm grateful for first thing in the morning. I write down three things. So this morning, prime example is coming on this podcast with you as one. Another one was the fact that I'm dog sitting. So you might hear some dogs in the background. I'm (laughs) dog sitting three dogs right now. And then another one was also the opportunity to pursue my dreams and passions. Right now, we got our schedule out for chiropractic studies and I'm pursuing my doctor of chiropractic. And uh, I'm super excited for year three out of four coming up here. So those are some of the three things I'm grateful for. But then I do a dance party in the morning. Every time I shower and get ready, I turn on my favorite tunes and go for a little dance, have fun, keep it light. And then I exercise minimum 30 minutes a day. And whether that's a yoga run through or workout, bike ride, walking the dogs, whatever that case may be. For me, it's just nice to get some exercise in my day. And there's also like mantras that I like to live by. There's a few. I would love to hear them. Yeah. Yeah, let's do. So I got a couple. So one is life is 10 percent happens to you. And 9% how you react to it. So true. And I think it's so true because you look at different life circumstances that come our way and we're all faced with obstacles, no matter what the situation may be. And we choose how we respond to it. It can be something as simple as someone cutting you off and coming into you while you're driving. Or it could be something like losing a loved one. These are all life situations and we choose how we respond to it. So for me, that's a big one that I've really used throughout my entire life. 
I learned that one at a very young age and then continue on um, to always find the positive over negative. At every situation, there will be some positive out of it. Even though we may not see it in that time, it might be very difficult. The positive can come from it. And then the other one I like to do is enjoy the grind. And we all have a grind, whether that's work, relationships, academics. They're all a grind, but in that grind, we're able to enjoy it and find that good out of it and find the process to be something that we're grateful for. I love all of that. And I think reading your book, it is so clear that your mindset has completely navigated the road that you're on right now. And you have done such a good job of really keeping your head clear and keeping that positive mindset when it was probably not very easy to to see the light. Thank you. Yeah. And at some points it's hard, but in those hard points where it's hard for you to see the light, there's also that beauty in the fact that you're still here. You're still able to have that opportunity to be thinking fully, to have your mind be there. And I think that was a big piece for me too, was there were some hard days for sure, but also in those hard days is like, how do I want to respond to the situation? What's in my control? What's not in my control? And I always try to focus on things I can control and always have like acceptance, forgiveness. So these are big things for me that have helped me throughout my whole life spectrum, be down to type 1 diabetes at the age of four, losing my best friend at a young age, losing my personal trainer and mentor at a young age, and almost losing my dad when I was 15. So like, there's a lot of different elements before the crash that had made me the person I was up to that day. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said that. And I think, you know, the human experience, we're all experiencing the same things. We're all going to experience trauma and tough times in our life, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma. But I love what you said about even being in traffic and someone cuts you off and you need to choose how you how you handle that, because that to me is the practice. You know what I mean? That's the preparation for when the inevitable happens. Um, you know, when you're rocked by something that you you're building that muscle of resilience. And I think that that's so important. I love that you said that. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, you know, I've read your book for those who have not, um, let's get to know you a little bit in your background, because, you know, like you said, at the age of four, you were diagnosed with type one diabetes. Um, you have had loss throughout your life at a very young age from your friend and teammate who was in a car accident, um, a trainer who you were really close with. And he was, you know, a really pivotal part of your life and you're growing up and who you developed into. And I, it came as a shock, right? Like you didn't even know he was sick for a lot of the time that you guys had known each other and been working together. And then your father gets so incredibly ill and not knowing what's wrong with him and almost losing him, right? Like you've been through an incredible amount of life in a really short amount of time for such a young person. So let us know, you know, where did, where did you grow up? What got you interested in hockey? I come from a very hockey family, so I understand, you know, the love of the game, but um, where did it start for you? So I was born and raised in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and uh, I grew up there and absolutely fell in love with the game. The big thing was in the birth announcement, my parents said the 2015 first round NHL draft pick was brought into the world. <laughs> I love it. And it's kind of thrown on to me. It didn't happen. Sorry, mom and dad. I kind of left them down with that one. <laughs> but um, it was honestly like the first picture I saw of myself was having hockey skates and a hockey helmet and hockey loves around me. The skates were bigger than me. The helmet was like three times the size of my head. It's amazing. And like the gloves were the size of my body. So I know. And how many hockey families in Canada can relate to this? Like, it's just like, right? it should, yeah, it should be on the flag, honestly. 
<laughs> yeah, so that was like how I got introduced. But when I first stepped on the ice and got a little bit of my feet going and stuff, I loved the wind through my air and the breath in the air that creates that little cloud. And the sound my skates were making. I, I was like the three things I absolutely loved. All your hockey. senses were was, just like going yes. off. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I can go fast and have wind go through my hair. I can hear stuff. Oh, my goodness. Look at my breath. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so that was super cool. Yeah, I loved that part. And then it just easily fell in love. I took up figure skating and uh, absolutely loved figure skating and, and then took on hockey. And that was my passion. And so was fortunate enough to grow up playing hockey at the highest level. When I was Saskatoon, I moved to, uh, sorry, when I was six, moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and grew up there until I was 16 before I moved away to per- play AAA hockey with North Balford. And um, then after that, was fortunate enough to play junior A hockey with the Notre Dame Junior Hounds, and then ended up in Humboldt my last year of junior hockey, and then had a scholarship to York University where I played there for three years, earned a commerce degree, and that was in Toronto. And then I started my chiropractic college journey, doing my doctor of chiropractic in Toronto as well at Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College. So um, now I'm done that halfway through, going to my third year. And honestly, like I've been so fortunate to have so many incredible people in my life come in as billet families and teammates and supports. And like you said, losing some close people in my life has not been easy, but it's also given me a different perspective on death at a very young age and even on life too, and how fast can change in an instant. Yeah, I I love that because it's so true. I mean, it's something that, you know, not many people can wrap their head around. People really fear death. They really don't like to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but chapter 16 is a really incredible chapter that you wrote where you're giving tribute to all the lives that were lost. And even as someone who's experienced trauma, I'm really familiar with, you know, the sexual assault side of trauma, the death side of trauma, I'm not that familiar with. And it it's un, it's uncomfortable for those of us who haven't experienced it the way that you have. And after each person that I read through, I honestly, I had to stop and just like take it in. And it's it's incredible how resilient you are. And I'll say it again, it's your attitude, it's your mindset, it's all of those things. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit and how you develop that at such an early age. And with being diagnosed with diabetes, I mean, you had a love of the game. It was all you wanted to do. And you were told there were limitations on what you could do. And it took a ton of sacrifice, not just for you, but for your family at a super young age. And did that fuel you? People telling you, you know, this this may not be possible for you. You need to scale it back. Like you're doing too much. Yeah, I found that it was fuel for me, but for others I actually held them back and they believed it. And so it's interesting because in the profession I'm going to be in, I'm never going to put a ceiling on my patient's healing. I love I'm it. I'm going to say you can't do this. It's like we can work towards it or we can strive to that. And so for me, I had supports. So my parents were a huge support saying, you know what, it's okay. Like, you're able to do this. We're going to make it the best we possibly can. And you manage your diabetes, you don't let it manage you. And that was like the model that I had growing up. And so we had coaches that would cut me from teams. There's people that didn't want to pick me because I was a diabetic. And that's okay because I was just part of the process of becoming who I was. And also was very good to develop that strength too. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I use it as motivation rather than like, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to stay away. 
because at the end of the day, I'm the one who lives with it. They don't. And it's their perspective put on me. And it goes back to the first kind of quote where life is temp, so it happens to you. And I percent react to it. And like you choose how you want to respond to that situation. And so I was fortunate enough to have great leaders in my life, my parents. I had mentors, coaches, friends who were there supporting me throughout those times where people were doubting me. It's interesting because talking to other trauma survivors and clinicians and you know, people that I've interviewed on this podcast so far, it's really clear to me that the most important thing in trauma and when people are going through something is connection. And it's, you had that from your parents to your, you know, your coaches and your mentors and your other teammates that were really there to support you. And I think that, you know, obviously you have done all the work and you, you've created your mindset, but a lot of that is probably to do with the connections and the love that you had and the support that you had. Would you agree with that? That that was really imperative. Yeah. It's not me. Like, I think it's funny because there was like, oh, like you developed this training. It's like, yeah, I did. But I picked pieces from each person in my life and applied it into one thing in myself and been like, okay, like I like this way that they think or I really want to apply that to my life. So it was the community that I had around me. It wasn't just, wasn't me. <laughs> I have intrinsic motivation though, which is very beneficial where I don't need to have extrinsic goals or rewards. I just personally feel motivated, which is huge. Mm -hmm. But on top of that too, it's still like developing even that intrinsic motivation in that skill is still a skill set too. And it's something that I believe that you can develop if you have the right passions in place. So my passion was hockey. My passion was community, giving back to other people. And that gave me the intrinsic motivation for me to succeed and overcome those challenges. But like you said, I went to be able to without the family, without my community, without others who were believing in me too. Yeah, that's incredible. And the way that you, even pre-bus crash, the way that you talk about, um, you know, the people that were in your life that helped you get there and the way that you wanted to give back to the community, that was just bred into you. I feel, um, you know, were your parents a huge, a huge influence on that and how you seen the world and gave back to the people that sometimes couldn't do anything for you, right? Like it was just a part of who you were. Yeah, it definitely was from a very young age. So when my parents uh, I guess when I was a little young, my parents would take me to their care home and they worked in long-term care facilities. And so for me, the whole plan was just go and make the resident's life a little bit brighter. Yeah. So I'd go play games with them, joke around. Uh, they teach me multiplication tables. Like it was a way for us to get involved, but also for me to get involved in giving back. And so that was like the very kind of starting point of it. But I know both my parents and grandma and my my family in the like, has always given back. And so it was kind of, I'd say, like passed on through seeing other people in my life giving back, through seeing my parents give back, and then putting me in those situations to help other people too at a young age. And so for me, like when I did have my taxi crew and humble, that was oh, what I wanted. I can't wait to talk to you about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk to you a little bit though, you know, about your first experience with loss. It was your trainer, correct? Yeah, that was like my first real kind of comprehension of the loss. Yeah, and that was a big one for you. I mean, you spent a lot of really close time with him and he was really, really important to you. And I'm curious how you navigated that at such a young age and how you wrapped your head around that and, and moved on past it and took him with you. Yeah, so for me, 
I had lost my teammate the year or two prior. And it was hard because I didn't really grasp it fully. I lost my grandparents before a younger age and I lost my teammate. And I still didn't really grasp death. I knew that he was just never going to be around anymore. And so I was sad about that, went to the funeral and grieved how normally people would grieve. Yeah. And then was like, well, now he's gone. Like, that sucks. Now what? Kind of thing. So then my personal trainer, right? And so my personal trainer passed away the following year after. Um, I didn't know that he had brain cancer until like the last month when he was in the hospital and unable to train me. And he wasn't able to pick me up and then he wasn't able to train me. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, what's going on? And then they got wristbands for him saying Pablo's ultimate fight. And then on the other side of the bracelet said, believe. His nickname was Pablo. And so I thought, wow, wait, what's this fight all about? And so it's- Oh, so you really had no idea. None. And he didn't want to tell me. He didn't want to scare me. And so I was like, wow. Like, and I started talking to people and they're like, yeah, like he's been fighting this for like years. And it's just starting to get worse the last six months. And I was like, oh my God. Like I couldn't even tell that he had brain cancer. And it wasn't that he was hiding from me. It was just showing how strong he was about it. And he would like sit me down and like give me life lessons during our workouts, like mid reps when I was done and like I was on my rest break, we'd have a two or three minute break and he would sit down and teach me life lessons. And he was like, do you feel the pain that you're feeling right now? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's good. It's going to make you stronger. He's like, you need to love that. Because if you want to get to the next level, that's going to be your fuel. He's like, when you feel that pain, that fuels you to keep on getting stronger and stronger. And I was sitting there, like, small, 12, 13-year-old kid, just like, okay, yeah. But, like, learning that from that age was so critical. So when he passed, I went and saw him in the hospital just before he passed. And then he passed away. And I went to his celebration. And I found it so weird that it was a celebration. And it was celebrating his life. And everybody in there was partying, dancing, having fun, sharing funny stories, laughing. And I was like, well, this is completely different than the other funerals I've been to that have been like super sad, crying, kind of like dark, deep. This one is like light, upbeat. Everybody's enjoying it, sharing the memory. So I sat there. I was like, well, I view death a lot differently now. Like, I want people to celebrate my life. I want to celebrate other people's lives. And I should celebrate the time that I had with them. And the MC of the... Um, celebration of life said I am so grateful for the time that I shared with Chad on this earth he's like we come across people every single day we pass by but the fact that we had a connection with that person is so special and I sat there I was like yeah like yeah like I pass by people every we drive by tons of people every day we walk by we don't know them but the fact that I got to know Chad on this personal level and have this connection is so special and that was when I viewed death a lot differently. It was like, interesting. Like I can, I should celebrate the life that I have with these people. The time that I share. There's 8 billion people in this world. The fact that I got shared this time with this person is really special. And even when my friend passed away at a younger, young age too, that was when I really learned the grasp concept of how fast life can change in an instant. And to just make the most out of every day. So then it, that was to kind of pillars when I was 13 years old I already had those two in my life and then when my dad when I was 15 and he was on his deathbed he was like you need to pursue your passions like you need to follow your dreams don't let me hold you back I want you to do this for you and us he's like you work so hard so that was another kind of mindset shift where I was like yeah like he is right 
I need to do this not just for myself, but for my family. Yeah. Because totally. they have sacrificed a lot. They have given lots for me. And so there was lots of different emotions coming through with those. But that was also part of the process was looking at life a lot differently than a lot of my friends or people that I knew because they're like, well, aren't you sad? I'm like, yeah, I am sad. But I'm using this as motivation for me to be stronger, to live in his life, to make the most of my life for him and for those who aren't here. Totally. Again, so. it comes back to mindset, right? And as you're telling this story, you know, all I can think is like, Caleb, Chad gave you such a gift. Like in those moments where you're working really hard and then in between sets, he's like giving you this life advice. I imagine that the things he said, you will never forget. You will carry with you for the rest of your life. And he gave you such 100%. a gift. hundred percent. He did. And it's so cool looking back on it and not even knowing that in that time he was going through his own battle too. Yeah. And that he was trying to pass it on to the next generation to leave his wisdom on this earth. And I think a lot of people do that in life and we don't really see it or catch on to it until it's too late. I totally agree with you. And I, I honestly, I'm the person that believes like, especially through my own experiences that everything happens for a reason, whether we understand it now or six years from now, there will be a moment in your life where you go, Oh, ah, that's why that happened. I see it now. And the people that we meet, we meet for a reason. And knowing your mindset and the people that you've come across in your life, like you met them for a reason because you're the type of person that's taking it out and sharing those things with the world, which we need more of. Like, I just think it's so incredible. And what a gift he gave you. I just, I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to talk to you moving forward a little bit. You spent all that time moving around. You're at Notre Dame. And then Something that really struck me was you asked for a trade. Yeah. Which yeah, I did. You probably had no idea the impact that that would have on your life. What that small question, that small ask, which it completely changed the trajectory of your life. 100%. Yeah. And it was really hard because at Notre Dame, I loved it there. And I was in, like, if you're looking from the outside in, it was probably like the best. I was talking to NCAA Division One schools, talking to U Sports schools, which was like my next step and my next goal. I was assistant captain. We had eight twin year olds on the team, so I was going to be named captain that next year. Um, I had opportunities playing at the highest level against the best players. I had great relationships with my teammates, staff, the community. I was involved heavily in the community. Like it was just outside in looked perfect, but inside I was missing that little piece. And it was having this dream program called Dahlgren's Diabetes. And so when I asked for the trade, the coach was like, are you sure? Like, this is, and even the captain, when I said, I was like, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? <laughs> You're ruining and your career. Literally, literally, though, they're like, this is like the probably the worst thing you could do for your career right yeah. now. And I was like, I, I need to do this. I just need to do this. And so asking for that trade was not easy whatsoever. And then I got, ended up trading to Humboldt. And that was when I was able to start my dream program, Dahlgren's Diabetes, and continue to give back to the diabetic community that much more tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. And you did. You've created something so incredible. And I, I applaud you for that because it's rare for somebody of your age to be able to step into something like that. And, you know, there's so many fears around like following your your dreams, your ambitions, even outside of hockey, right? And you did a great job of it. You nothing stopped you. Like you 
you felt that it was important. It meant something to you and you didn't care. You went for it. And I love that. Like, I think that's such a great lesson for everybody out there who's listening, who's afraid to, you know, follow their gut. And I, that's something I preach a lot. And I talk about a lot on this podcast is listening to that voice inside and trusting your gut when you know something doesn't quite feel right even though on paper you know it's um it looks perfect you've really got to dig deep and you got to listen to that voice inside which you've done a great job of well thank you so much and I think that was a big piece too for me was going against the grain a bit and just like understanding that it's going to be a risk but the risk is going to be worth the reward at the end of the day because I make the most of it regardless One thing you talk a lot about in your book specifically is the culture of the team and how important mm -hmm. that was to all of you, to Darcy, your coach, to you, and how you took people under your wing. And you really wanted to make sure that everyone felt welcome, no matter if they were rookies or first years or what it was, that the culture of the team was ultimately the most important thing to you guys. And I love that about you. And I'm wondering, do you still take that into your everyday life? Because I... I love how you drive the importance of that. And I think it's something that's often overlooked, not just the culture of a team or a work environment, but even the culture of your life and the people that you surround yourself with. And is that something that's really important to you to this day that you still bring with you with the people you invite into your world? For sure. Like our big motto that govern our team, Core Covenant was called. And the first thing on it says family first. And so that was like the model that I took the strongest and felt the most with was because we're all family mm -hmm. and I'm the only child. So my family are my teammates, my brothers, like they are, they become my brothers, become my family. And even the staff become like people I look up to. So for me, that was family and it still is today. And like you said, people in my life, I bring them in and it's family first. I'll check in with everybody. I'll make sure they're doing well. I, I really, really take that seriously because life is short and relationships are key. Like you said, connection is huge. Yeah, and I believe that if you don't have that connection in your life, you're missing a very, very big piece of life that I think is probably the most important personally. Yeah, it's so true. I think we all can remember exactly where we were and what we were doing on April 6, 2018, right? It was, it, it rocked everybody. And it was the day that 16 people were killed and 13 were injured when a northbound coach bus struck a westbound semi-trailer in Saskatchewan after the driver of a semi-truck had failed to yield at a flashing stop sign. You know, it's, it, it literally, it, it's a stop you in your tracks kind of day. And I'm wondering, you know, so many questions, obviously, but would you be able to walk us through that day and, you know, what you remember of that day? So the day was just a normal game day. We were playing Nipwin Hawks in Saskatchewan Geoc League playoffs. And the series was down three to one, but it honestly could have been three to one for us. We had two leads that we blew in the last five minutes that went to overtime that they won in overtime. So like it was a very, very close series. And uh we had a pregame skate, went to Johnny's Bistro after, had a nice little breakfast, then went home, had a nap, and then went grabbed some pregame meal, went to the arena, packed our bags, loaded on the bus. And so I sat aisle seat, row twelve. Um, driver's side 
and then it was fourth from the back. And so, like, we all had our different spots, usually vets in the very back. Then it went from, like, older to most games played and then younger, and then coaches, staff at the front. And that's how it always kind of was. And that's what we did on the bus is, like, the best times. So, like, joke around, laughing, sharing stories, listening to music, people playing cards, watching movies, like, whatever people like to do is I love the bus personally. I still love it today. It's super fun. And some of my best memories are on the bus. And so for me, it was just another game day. I was talking to my parents. I was talking about York University. I committed to the university before the crash. And we're talking about the aspects of living there. And then after that, chat with some teammates, had a pregame meal. Then I put on my suit and I like to visualize. So what I was doing was visualizing who I was playing against, what role I was in. And then so I put in my headphones, closed my eyes, and boom, everything went black. And then I remember waking up in the hospital, which was five and a half days later, absolutely confused and was looking around, questioning what was happening and realized I had something around my neck. I thought I was dreaming. And so I asked my parents, like after I kind of came to the sense of like, okay, I must have got checked from behind in our hockey game, got concussed because I don't remember it. And I broke my neck. So I asked my parents, how did our game go? And like, Caleb, there was no game. And I was like, what do you mean? There was like, we told you, all right, there was a bus crash. 16 people passed away. You're one of 13 survivors. So I quickly found out that I was in a bus crash and I was one of the 13 survivors. Still didn't believe them. So I checked Twitter and I saw hashtag prayers for humbled, hashtag humbled strong. And sticks out for Broncos where movement was there. And I was like, wow, this is real. And then not even... Couple minutes later, my physiotherapist came in the room. Was like, "Kill, you ready to go to physio?" I was like, "Physio? What do you mean?" And they're like, "Well, you went yesterday, don't you remember?" I was like, "No." And so I was in a state called post-traumatic amnesia, and it's where you're like conscious and talking to people, but you don't remember. Other people would coin the term as like blackout when they drink too much. Yeah, where like you're there talking, conversing, but you don't remember a single thing. I've never experienced it personally, but that's what people say is similar to. And so for me, I was in that state for five and a half days. So I don't remember these conversations, all that. And I guess on the scene, when the first responder came and saw me, I gave somebody my coat and was helping out one of my teammates. And they said, what's, are you okay? Like, what's hurting? I said, my neck and my back. They loaded me onto a stretcher. And then as they took me to ambulance, I said, my name is Caleb Dahlgren. I'm 20 years old. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And as they loaded me in the ambulance, I said, thank you for this. Make sure you take care of everybody else. And so I don't remember this at all and got flown from Nipawin. Uh, I got rushed to Nipawin Hospital and flown from Nipawin to Saskatoon and was in Saskatoon for 21 days in the hospital recovering. But the injuries I suffered was a fractured skull, a puncture wound to my skull, a scalp degloving. So this whole side of my head was completely shaved. I had five broken vertebrae in my neck four broken vertebrae in my back, blood clots in my left arm, my right eardrum, I had muscle, nerve, and ligament damage in my neck and my back, and a severe traumatic brain injury where I shouldn't remember my name or how to walk or how to talk. But doctors call me a medical miracle. And um, that's kind of it. But the hardest part wasn't the injuries. It was honestly the fact I lost 16 people. Yeah, it was the emotional and mental toll, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hearing you talk about the first on the scene, that was something that really stuck out to me while reading your book is, first of all, mm-hmm. the injuries you sustained, how you were, you described it as crawling around. They said you were crawling on your hands and knees trying to help 
your teammates. Yeah. And, you know, the, first of all, the injuries that you sustained, how, how you were able to do that is just incredible. And then I love that, you know, it was because you'd taken such good care of yourself with your diabetes throughout your entire life too. You knew that that was something really important that was, that they needed to know about you and not to give too much of the book away because I really want people to read it because it's an incredible story and we all know the story, but it needs to be read and the lives that were lost are so respected in this book and everyone needs to needs to read it. But the first responder that you, that found you actually came and saw you in the hospital. For him, I, I can't imagine the trauma that he, he seen, that he experienced. And he said he would never forget you. And you know, what does that feel like? I reading it, I, I'm such a visual person and I can, that's part of why the book was so hard for me to read is because I'm actually visualizing what was going on while I'm reading it. And I can imagine, you know, that he probably will feel connected to you for the rest of his life. A hundred percent. And I think it's beautiful in a sense, but also very sad that that's how he remembers me the most is seeing me at my worst and seeing everybody at their worst. But it's also beautiful in the sense, too, because he was there for me at my worst and he was there for us at our worst. And I think that I actually have talked to him a lot to keep in touch and uh, sent him a book. And he says it's super hard. and He can't get through it, which is OK. Yeah. And that's all right. But there's things that really come our way in life that challenge us the mentally, physically, emotionally and spiritually. And I think that was something that he'll stay with forever. But he is doing well and he is making strides and he's working towards his best health and being a support of that. And he said what gives him strength is seeing me succeed and seeing me thrive in life and doing so well. So like he said, that's such a big piece is like being able to see what I'm up to and keeping in touch that helps him. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, back to human connection, right? Like that human connection is help with you is helping to kind of keep him pushing forward in his life and not letting it swallow him whole, which is probably not easy to do every day, right? No. And those first responders on the scene saw a lot of things that they've never seen and will never hopefully see in their entire career. I I can't imagine. Yeah. So I just, I'm grateful for all the first responders who have supported us, but also all the first responders out there listening to this too. Like, thank you for what you do because you truly are making a positive impact on so many's lives. And I think there's nothing more valuable than a second chance at life. Yeah. And you know, it's such a selfless thing that they're doing too, because they still have lives and families at home that they have to go home to every day and be their best for. And it's to put yourself in a position where you're helping people in, you know, in states that you probably can't recover from yourself emotionally and mentally. It it truly is so selfless. Like I, I totally believe that. Yeah, for sure. For sure it is. Back to that first, those first few moments, you know, I'm curious, obviously you don't have any memory of the crash have doctors told you that you would potentially one day regain memory? Because I know, I don't know how it works with a brain injury, but I know in, in trauma, we go into survival mode and we block those things out to protect ourselves. But as I've gotten older, memories have come back of what's happened to me. And I'm curious if they've told you if that is a potential for you. Yeah, they have said that for sure. There's a high, high chance. I'll remember everything that happened because I was conscious and walking around on the scenes. Um, and helping out. So they said that there's a very, very high possibility, but it hasn't happened yet. How do you feel about that? I'm excited. Yeah. I'm like, actually like, yeah, like, I would love to know what I did. And yeah. I'd love to understand kind of like the things I was doing, who I was talking to, what I was saying. 
how I was doing it because I grew up with both parents as nurses and I've been fortunate enough to be put in situations that are high stress or been told situations that are high stress and I've seen a lot and so for me what it, it would be it wouldn't be like too detrimental I don't think it's hard to tell until I experience it but I think it would be something that I would be open to and I'd love to learn more about it and if I did find out like say I wake up tomorrow and I remember everything it'd be great because that'd be another step in the healing process and I think that's the viewpoint of it for me is like this is one more step to heal it's one more way for me to learn more about it one more way for me to learn more about myself, learn about others, and remember what I was doing in the last moments I had with the people I had. Yeah, you know, I actually love that you said that. I think that's really important because for myself, there's things I don't remember about my own experiences because A, survival mode, B, because we were drugged, right? So, but Mm -hmm. for myself, I have been on this journey of wanting to know what happened to me. And I think there's something about knowing something really life altering happened to you and not having any memory of it. Something that changed the trajectory of your life that changed you as a human, but you can't recall any of it. All that's left is the residual trauma and pain that you feel inside. And it's something people don't understand about me either. And I'm sure there's going to be people that are listening to this thinking, Caleb, why would you ever want to remember that? But I actually really relate to that. And I completely understand why you would want to remember what was going on at that time. 100%. And then also on the other edge, a lot of people are like, oh, like you're lucky that you don't remember it and you're able to do what you're doing. Because if you did remember it, it would ruin your life or it would change who you are. And to give, yes, but also give, maybe not, because I don't know. And I can't say, yeah, it would for sure change your life or I can't say no, it won't at all. And I've never been in that situation yet. But I think if it does happen, and kind of if and when it happens and when it does, I'm excited for that chapter. I'm excited to take it on and to heal to the best capabilities I can. I've been able to do that throughout lots of these things as well. And I think mindset prevails, especially in that moment too. Yeah, that is so true. And that's just a testament to how much you've healed as well, right? To be able to look at it from that perspective and take it on. It's If you've been through a healing process, you know that who you are on the other side of it is a gift. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And then even who you are throughout the process is a gift because you're present in who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious too, you know, your parents, I can't imagine what, I, 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 I don't even know how to put it into words because I am a mom and what your parents went through on that day and all the other parents who lost their loved ones, um, I can't imagine what that was like. And your parents were already in the town you were going to, to watch your game, waiting for your bus to arrive. And, you know, they were one of the first ones on the scene. Am I wrong? No, you're right. They were one of the first ones there, yeah. And your mom was running around looking for your shoes, trying to see, you know, if she could find you. And what your parents must have seen, and you talk a lot about survivor's guilt. And your mom had felt that because there's other, you know, the mom connection is something that's really strong, whether you know each other or not. And watching another family go through that, I can't imagine what that did to your parents. And, you know, how, how have they come out of this? How, how have they, are they still close with those families? What does this journey look like for them? Yeah, they've been doing really well. And I think doing the book with them has really helped as well. Like I know it helped me in my healing process, but it also helped them in their healing process because they were able to recapture 
some of the stories and recapture some of the open wounds that they had and heal those too. And they are keeping really close. They have like family group chat they talk in. They're close with a few families as well and keep in contact with them quite often. And so they try to keep in touch with everybody. And I've learned even like throughout this process that everybody internalizes and intakes and heals differently. And that's also been something that I've learned on myself as well as that what works for me and not work for our person, what works for our person might not work for me. And that's the beauty in it is being so accepting, open of all that. Not judging others, people's journeys, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And so my parents and I have been like very open to that too and very grateful for the way that we feel and grateful for the way people are healing too. And so it's been a great kind of relationship, but I think it's also interesting because nobody experiences it except us in this certain situation. So you can't even understand. And they feel bad because they can't understand losing their child because they never have. And so it's hard for them to relate and be there, but they can empathize and give their sympathy to those families and condolences, but they can't truly understand what it's like. For sure. And vice versa. Like I can't truly understand what it's like for somebody to lose their loved one or for someone to remember the full, full count of the day. Yeah. But I can definitely empathize and be there as a support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, and I know that your memory, a lot of this came from your parents, right? Like retelling the things that had happened and how they had to continue to retell you what happened after the accident. And what I'm curious, what is your first memory after the accident? What is the first thing you remember? And because you were put in a room with two of your other teammates. And do you remember what that was like? I do a little bit. So I remember that piece of the puzzle. But the first thing I remember is don't want to spoil it for the readers, but yeah. um, it's pretty obvious. It's when I wake up from a nap. So I was actually napping and then I woke up from a nap. And that was when I realized that I was in a hospital and I thought I was dreaming. So I closed my eyes trying to go back to sleep. And then I realized that something wrapped around my neck. I realized that I was in a room. I realized that I was in a hospital room. And that was like when it first hit me. And that was my first kind of memory is like waking up from it. So I don't remember, it wasn't like I was in the middle of my physio kind of thing and it snapped in. I was like, wow, like, what am I doing right now? It was like when I woke up from a nap that this was the reality that I was put in. And I literally thought that I was just waking up like the next day. I thought it was like groundhog, kind of woke up like first thing in the morning kind of thing. But it was like days down the road. And so there's some, like, I remember my billet mom that came and visited me. Um, and it would have been like the day after. And I asked her like months after the crash, I was like, oh, like, did you come and visit me in the hospital? She's like, yeah, we came the day after, but it was only one day because I was going on a vacation after and I wasn't able to cancel it or change it in time. It would have been very expensive. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I think I remember hearing your voice. So I, I remember, remember hearing her voice, but I don't remember seeing her. That's wild. And so like that was a couple months afterwards. And still, like, I'm still, like, trying to put the pieces together. And I don't, I still haven't, like, I still remember lots of it. Like, literally 99% of it, I just remember her voice. And that was, I guess, the first day. So um, it might come back. It might not. But never know. You know, I actually want to talk about your billet parents for a second. And um, I, I grew up in a hockey family. And I know how important billets are to not just the players but the team in general like if you're not happy and taken care of and loved in your billet 
home, I mean, that kind of shows on the ice, right? Like your mental health, everything when it comes to this. And you talk a lot about how great they were and you were really involved with the family. And I can't, there was also two other players that were living with you at the time who unfortunately, you know, they did pass away in this accident. And I can't imagine what it was like for that family who really were your family in Humboldt. Yeah. Yeah. It was super hard because one passed away, two survived. And out of the one that passed away, he was with them for two years. And we were the ones that survived only with them for one year. And so it was really, really challenging for them, and especially the children too, because they lose one, but they have two. And it's still like they can't grasp it or like comprehend it. Like, why, why is he gone and why are they not gone? And like the one that passed away was Steven and he was sitting behind me. And so like that was weird because he was behind me. I should have passed away before he did. And then Bryce was beside me on the bus. And so I guess not. He was like back behind to the right behind me. Um, and so it was just like super interesting because it didn't make sense. And it's, there's no way that the kids could comprehend it, no way the family could comprehend it. And it was just dealing with the loss, but also dealing with the happiness that you have too as well. So yeah, it was a very, very tight and tough, conflicting situation for the family, but especially the children, because that was their first time dealing Absolutely. with the tragic loss. Yeah. And a huge loss because you do become part of the family, right? It's 100%. it's just unbelievable. And, you know, I'm curious too, just as, as a nation watching this unfold and we're seeing, you know, photos of the crash come on the news and we're seeing pictures of you guys in the hospital, all your beds pushed together and you're all laying there and it's gut-wrenching and you have no memory of this. And I'm sure most of your teammates that did survive also don't have any memory of this. When you were shown those photos after, what was that like? Like, was it reliving it? Was it incredibly traumatic? How did that affect you? I was just grateful. That was like the biggest thing was just gratitude that it wasn't just like one of us that survived and that there were some of us who were still here to share that together. I think it'd been a lot more difficult if there was only one survivor of the full thing. So it was really nice for us to have each other throughout that time and to be supports for each other. And even though some of us weren't fully there, like myself, I think it was nice to have support from my friends, my family, my teammates, the community of Humboldt, the entire world. It wasn't even like the province. It was the entire world. We had people from all over the world who were reaching out to us. And so I was super, super grateful for all that support. I was grateful for the love that we received. And you think about it like, as sad as it is, I had in a room, so there was two Broncos and myself, and I remember this. There was an elderly woman beside me. And this was after my post-amnesia was past that time. Um, There's an elderly woman beside me, and she had one visitor in four days. We had a lineup of visitors outside the hallway for us. Lineup. And at least 12 people would come in and see us all on a daily basis. At least. And it broke my heart because this early woman was going through her own traumatic experience and wasn't getting any support, very little support. And we had the whole world community rallying around us. So for me, I want to take her under my wing and bring her in. I gave her lots of my gifts, lots of food that I received. In true Caleb fashion. (laughs) Well, just to make her feel special and loved because I didn't want her to like to be left out because she was going through her own traumatic time. And so. Now, more than ever, I'm really like when people are going through hard times, I always reach out to them, say I'm thinking of them or 
sending condolences their way because I know how much that support meant for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, before we move on to, you know, post crash and what you did physically and mentally to heal from the trauma, there are some key points that I wanted to kind of ask you. And I, as I said before, I am someone who truly believes everything happens for a reason. And there were some events that happened that day leading up to the crash that, you know, put you guys a little bit behind and you took a different route and, you know, Darcy had to stop at home because he forgot something. And then you went a different road. I mean, when you think about those things and if they hadn't have happened, that you would be X amount of minutes earlier and this wouldn't have happened. Or if he would have taken a little longer, or if there was another red light somewhere, you would have been X amount of minutes slower and it wouldn't have happened. The timing of it is just, it's not lost on me how it just lined up perfectly. When you think about that, does it make you angry? Like how how do you feel about the timing of it and the events that led up to it that were out of the ordinary? Yeah, no, it doesn't make me angry at all. Because if it did, life would be very, very angry life. <laughs> like yeah. honestly, it, it would be such an angry life. And for me, it's having acceptance of the things I can't control. And that was the biggest thing. And that's like probably one of the biggest things for me healing was I had to focus on the things that I can't control. Focus on my health, my habits, who I spend time with, my perspective, my views, my work ethic. How is I going to turn this around? Not the fact that the semi-truck driver went through a stop sign. Not the fact that we took a different charted route or that we were 10 seconds too early or 10 seconds too late. It was like these things happen in our life and we have to focus on things that we can't control. None of that was in my control. None of it. And if we knew it was going to happen before, we all would have been like, oh, hold the bus. Or we're going to stay at Darcy's for another minute. Or like, we would have done something differently. But I think that's the beauty in life, too, is that it's completely unscripted. And we don't know what's going to happen until it happens. So we have to choose how we want to respond to those situations when it does happen. Absolutely. Yes. And you're right. And I'm curious, too, you know, it's been watched by everybody, um, how this has played out, you know, in the courts with the semi-truck driver. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this and what you think about how it's gone down. And have you, have you met with this person? Do you, you know, what has gone on since the crash? Yeah. So for me, I've completely forgiven him and did like right after the crash, I was probably like one of the very, very early ones to do it. And for me, there is no reason me holding grudge or madness at a person because you know how much energy that takes? So much. Like, think about it. If you're like, oh, I hate this person. I want to get away from them. This sucks. Get me away. That was tiring. <laughs> like, that was actually tiring holding that grudge or... It would have stopped your healing. Oh, for yeah. sure. For sure. And so for me, I forgave him. One, it was like a big fault in the system. He wasn't actually trained to be driving it. There was like, there's tons of different faults in the system to lead up to that point in the first mm -hmm. place. So the big thing is like getting more awareness and getting better rules and regulations in place for those that people aren't put in those situations. Yeah. So that he doesn't have to be put in that situation and we don't have to be put in that situation. Yeah. And if anything, I feel super, super, super bad for him. His life will never be the same. No, no, I couldn't imagine. And like, to be honest, I've been through a stop sign without stopping before. Mm -hmm. we all I have. didn't see it. It was, yeah, it was a rural road late at night. I didn't see the stop sign. It was a tree waving over the bush. Didn't notice it until I was halfway through intersection. I was like, oh, slant away brakes. Like, that might have been a stop sign there. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody around, not a single site kept on driving. Yeah. Who knows? Sure. There could have been somebody going through that intersection and family with kids, but there wasn't. And I was just lucky. And so, no, we're not perfect. No way is perfect. And so for me, I didn't want to hold a grudge as someone when I could have made the same mistake or who knows the route that it could have went. Like at the end of the day, we all make mistakes and he wasn't going out there trying to kill a 16 people on a bus. One thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, post-crash is what steps you took physically and mentally to get over the trauma of the crash to move forward. So some big steps I took to get over the trauma of the crash were it's focused on things I can control. Like I discussed earlier about how I only could control my attitude, my work ethics, my beliefs, my values, how I was going to respond to it, how I was going to perceive the situation. I also found it super interesting because I couldn't control the external world, how people were viewing the crash, how people were mad at certain people, how people were putting blame on themselves or survivors guilt, all that. I couldn't control. And then on top of that was having gratitude. Gratitude that I was still here. Gratitude that I got to know those people. Gratitude that I was fortunate enough to be able-bodied and to make the most out of my injuries. Gratitude that I had awareness and self-awareness to remove uh, myself from tough situations or uncomfortable spots. And then gratitude for the whole world supporting us. Like, it was just incredible. I want to say thank you to all those who did post it, sent a donation, wore a jersey, sent a letter, thought of us in any capacity. Like it truly meant a lot. It was incredible. And yeah. And then on top of that too, was like roles reversed. So I did have survivor's guilt at the start. And I was sitting in my bed. I had this long, long message, big paragraph that you're looking through on your phone. Like, whoa, that's a big scroll. So I had that all typed out, ready to hit send. I was going to send it to my roommate, my best friend. And realized that he would never receive that message, that he passed away. And so then I didn't send it, hit cancel. And that was when it all came pouring down on me. And it felt super tough and hard. And I was wondering why me, why do people younger than me pass away? Why do people who are more successful pass away? Like, why am I here? Why are they not? And like, person behind me passed away. Person kitty corner to the right passed away. Beside me passed away. It just didn't make sense. And so then it came to my senses. I was like, well, what if roles were reversed? Like, what if they were in my shoes and I was the one who passed away? I was like, well, I want to pursue their passions, their dreams, to make the most of life, to follow their absolute goals and to take risks, to love deeply and live life to the absolute fullest. And I thought about it more. I was like, well, why don't I do that for myself then? And that was when survivor's guilt got completely wiped away, was just in that mindset. And I was like, well, I'm going to live my life to the fullest and live big for those who aren't here. Yeah. Would you say that you felt that you had a responsibility to do that? Maybe not responsibility, but I felt like it was something that I could use from that negative situation as motivation to help me get through the tough days ahead. For sure. Yeah. And I think that was also like a healthy way to cope with the tragedy was to live my life in light of them, not in their darkness. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful. It's such beautiful imagery too. And I mean, you know, those early days were probably incredibly dark. I mean, you're, it's hard to imagine now because you're in such an incredible place and you're so well-rounded and the way that you give back is really incredible. And I actually want to touch on that a little bit. After the crash, it was really important to you that you gave back to the Humboldt community and you showed your appreciation. And I can't imagine what that was like going back to that community and 
going back into that locker room and I imagine you had to collect your things and, you know, visiting the places that you went with all those people that you had lost. What, what was that like for you in those early days? It was really healing. And I think that's the best term to use is healing because they were challenging. It wasn't easy. And it would come and go in waves. Like you do something to remind you completely of them or you'd have that moment. You'd be like, oh my goodness, like this is where we did this or but in that, it was also beautiful because that was those moments I'll cherish the rest of my life. And I never would have had the opportunity to cherish those moments. Yeah, absolutely. People always ask, like, would you, if you knew what was going to happen, would you do it again? And it's like, well, if I couldn't stop the crash and I knew it was going to happen, then yes. Um, just because I absolutely loved those people. And I got to share that connection with them for the time that I did. And so for me, it was like the opportunity to learn from every person opportunity to grow from every person and to share these connections that i'll have for the rest of my life totally so you have no regrets about asking for a trade after all of this no not at all no yeah that's amazing and it kind of just goes to show the type of person you are and you had said that chapter 16 was the hardest for you to write and it was honestly probably one of the hardest to read not not I, I believe everyone should read it. And it wasn't hard in the sense that I didn't want to read it. It was just hard in the sense that you just painted this beautiful picture of who these people were and what you took away from each one of them and what you still carry with you to this day. And I'm curious, you know, two things. Was that healing for you in a sense of hard? And the families, I imagine, what a beautiful tribute to their loved ones that you gave them. And I imagine this book is very hard and I imagine that some of them have probably not read it. Have they read chapter 16? How do they feel about it? And what, what have they reached out to you and said, what has the feedback been from those, from those people that lost their loved ones? Mm -hmm. And it was by far the hardest chapter for sure. And I wanted to capture the full life of somebody in a paragraph. And that's so hard in itself because you can't, you truly can't. And I actually got confirmation from every single angel family for the blurb that I wrote of their person that they love. That's amazing. And lost. And so for me, it was such a big thing was to make sure that they approved of it and they liked it and they all loved it. So every person has read what is talked about. There's other one that passed away. And also they fully loved it. Like, it was super nice to have the support of everybody in the angel families saying, yes, please write like that, or we love this. And there wasn't any tweaks either because they wanted it to be authentically how I thought of them mm -hmm. and like how I took away their perspective and they loved it. And so for me, that really meant a lot. Yeah. It really, really meant a lot. And it probably meant a lot to them to have you do that and honor the people that they loved. They did. And even the ones who have read the book said that that book was like very life changing and it truly gives them a different perspective that they never even would have imagined or thought. Some of them loved it because it gave them more details than what the loved ones that passed away ever did. They also, some loved it because it was a different viewpoint and coming from a different site. Another person um, commented just saying how they're so grateful that their name was mentioned and how they will be there forever now. And like forever inscribed on a book. So it was very, very touching for a lot of those families who especially did lose loved ones. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And I think it, even the fact that you went to them to ask for permission and have that have them read it, it's amazing. And it really is a testament to who you are. And, you know, this has been, I said this earlier, but you've carried it through your entire life. And it's really evident that it's just bred into who you are. You know, one more question about the the crash, which I really wanted to talk to you about was you guys were just in your own little world, obviously trying to heal, remembering things. Your parents were just trying to make sure that you survived, trying to get a hold of your condition and know what was going on. All the while, the whole world is rallying around you. And did you guys have any idea what was happening in the outside world? And if not, what was that like for your parents specifically when you when they learned how the whole world was rallying around you? We definitely had no clue. I don't remember the first five days, like I said, and I think that was when it was most chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had no clue whatsoever. It was more just like figuring out what was going on in the hospital. Um, I think it really hit me, though, was when I met a woman from Iran in the elevator. Um, I'm in the elevator in the hallway. She, I guess, security, we had security on our floor. And security guard's like, hey, and I go to physio. Do you want to meet a person who came from Iran to meet a Bronco? And I was like, what? Wow. And they're like, yeah, a person from Iran came and wants to meet a Bronco. Their family sent them here. Sure enough, I met this woman who was from Iran who got sent by her family to meet a humble Bronco. And I was the one that she met. And it was just like a couple of days after I kind of came to my senses of everything. And that was when it really hit me, just like how big this was and mm-hmm. how this wasn't just some small little thing. Unbelievable. That's incredible. Wow. That's incredible. You know, I'm wondering too post everything that's gone on and you you've developed this amazing life do you have any residual injuries or any anything that has been left over from the crash and what's that like for you on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. so i only suffer with my traumatic brain injury and that's really it and to be honest it doesn't affect my life much at all um before when i went to school so i went to school right after the crash a lot of the doctors said i shouldn't go literally everybody in my life was telling me i shouldn't go at one point um, but I went against the orders because I wanted to focus on things I could control. And if I fail, congrats, they're right. If I succeed, then what? And so I ended up succeeding and doing well, but it was hard because reading, I'd have to read something like five times before I could comprehend it. And my reading ability was super, super slow. So I had an e-reader who would read me a book like through the e, it could be like, I think Suzanne was the e-reader's name and it read me the book and then I would listen and I'd follow along and that helped me comprehend things better. And all my textbooks got translated to documents that could be read to me. So that was huge for me. And I also got extra time on my tests because of my brain injury, just everything like processing speed was a lot slower. Right. But now today I watch our lectures at two times speed and comprehend it. I'm able to listen to things a lot faster and comprehend it, read things faster. So like I've really caught up and that's something I've worked on tremendously in my healing journey. Cause I was like, Oh, like the first six months or the first year is important. But it's like, no, like I improved from year to year to year to year so far. It's not just that. Like, and I think that if you continually work to improve, you're going to get results. That's incredible. And also it brings me back to your mindset and how important that is. And I think like, I just really want to drive that home for people who are listening. It's no matter what your circumstances are or what card you've been dealt, your mindset is going to push through for you. You, that will propel you into the life that you're supposed to have, no matter how big your dreams are. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's so true. And like, I think the biggest thing in life is perspective on life because prime example, you look outside and say it's raining. 
that sucks. Or you look outside and say it's raining, that's beautiful. You look outside and say it's snowing, and you're like, wow, I hate the snow. Or you look outside and say it's snowing, I've never seen the snow. This is so beautiful. It's white. It's flaky. Same situation, just how you view it. And that dictates your day. It does. And it's something that I've really worked on in the last year. And I can honestly say you're not full of shit. Like it, it literally changes everything. It's completely changed my life, how I look at things. And you're a hundred percent right. It's, it's, it's life-changing. You know, you sound like such a goal setter and that you have really big, big dreams and you know, what, what's next for you? Yeah. So right now I do keep busy. So I have my diabetes. I also am a volunteer with three national nonprofit organizations. So breakfast clubs, JDRF and Stars Air Ambulance. Mm-hmm. And Stars Air Ambulance saved us on April 6, 2018. Um, and then on top of that, I also am a student doing my doctor of chiropractic studies right now. And I'd love once I graduate in 2025 to do world spine care. So go to a third world country and go and volunteer and give back to people who need treatment. And uh, right now the game plan is to go with my girlfriend who will be a nurse at that time too. And we'll go do it in tandem and be a part of the program. And then after that, love to specialize in neurology and be a chiropractic neurologist. And then open up a clinic somewhere down the road in the city that we sell down in. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the game plan. I would love to have a family, love to be a dad, would love to like just live some of a normal lifestyle too. And like play checkers Friday night with the kids like that'd be awesome sing around the fire like that cute kind of lifestyle too. yeah I and, love uh, it yeah I like always family's always been so important to me connection and so that's a life goal for sure do you still keep in contact with the other survivors from your team I imagine yep. like this made you even closer as a family and you know what does that look like today what are your relationships today yeah, so we still keep in contact and we have a group chat that we talk in. Every year we have our little get together. And so we've been doing that ever since. So that's been really nice and beneficial for us to mm-hmm. find a day, find a weekend for us to just hang out and spend some quality time together. And I think that's so beautiful. We're actually in Kelowna. I know that's where you are right now. So we were there in 2019, I believe. 2019 or 20, yeah, I think 2019. And that was super cool. We all enjoyed it over there. So we might be going back. Haven't figured out plans for next year, but it's been Sask the most recent years. That's amazing. So with everything that you've been through, and you know, it's a lot from a very young age. I'm curious to know what do invisible scars mean to you? So I'd say invisible scars means beautiful scars. And it's how you view the scars. So like we have them in our bodies, regardless if you want them or not, if they're there or not there. But you view, I view them at least in a beautiful way because they make us who we are today. Had we not experienced what we experienced, had we not gone through what we did, we wouldn't be the people that we are today. And I find that we are all beautiful human beings. And so those scars are beautiful. I love that. I mean, hearing you say that is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. It's exactly why I wanted to connect people like you with the people who are listening. And that's amazing. I really love that. One more question too, you know, what is something that you'd like to share with anyone who's experiencing trauma or a difficult time? I think the biggest thing for experiencing it is, uh, I could go on like rampage here. I had like an idea, but I think after the conversation, one of the big things is someone experiencing trauma is that you'll be able to get through this. It's difficult right now, but you will be able to get through it. And getting 1% better each day will help you. It doesn't need to be a giant leap. It doesn't need to be you trying to jump before you even walk. 
it's literally just putting that one foot in front of the other, that one one step in front of the other, that one breath in front of the other, and being like, I'm gonna get a little bit better today. Yeah, I I like to describe it as a slinky, like it's very slow yeah. and it, it you you don't get there quick and you know yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Like for me, when I through all those tough traumas, it was just getting one percent better each day, mm-hmm. and I find that has a tenfold effect. If you think about if you read 10 pages a day or even one page a day, you're reading 365, you're reading one book in a year, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah. But if you read 10 pages a day, then you're going to be reading 10 books. And it's just like, yeah, it's a big, big change. So if you get 1% better each day, you're going to continue to improve. Caleb, do you still play hockey today? I don't play hockey. I just play with my friends. I'm not like competitive not anymore. I'm not cleared for contact. Yeah, unfortunately. W- would you want to play again? Would love to play again. Yeah, my dream was to go to university and play mm-hmm. uh, university for a few years and then go play pro overseas in Europe. And now like lots of my best buddies are playing pro overseas in Europe and living the absolute dream. Yeah. And I'm so, so happy for them. But after I wanted to be a chiropractor. So I fast tracked it a little bit. Yeah. Do you think that you'll ever be cleared to play? Never. No. Just because I have 10 like foci blossoms on my brain. So 10 spots of bleeding. And it wasn't just in one spot. It was all over. So they expect me, if I do hit my head, to maybe potentially go back in the state. But they don't know like the state of not being able to walk, talk, remember my name. Um, and so it's not worth it. I have other goals, aspirations, and I find passion in other things too. So for me, is yeah. So I'm curious too, you've come so far, but what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self now that you've been through everything that you've been through? I think one piece of advice I'd give my younger self is to really make the most of every day. I know as a child for me, that was something that I did, but didn't really understand. And now looking back of it, when it is those hard days, not to stress or sweat the little things. And that life can be gone an instant. And to always keep that in mind, not some of the scare tactic, but some as inspiration to continue to follow your dreams, your passions, to make the most of the days that you have because you don't know when you can be gone. Yeah, it's so true. I love that. You know, Caleb, I read your book and like it is full of like highlighters and like just things that I took away from it that were so important that I feel that, you know, were really true to my life and my healing and things that I wanted to remember, things I hadn't even really thought of. And you did an incredible job on this book. And I want to encourage everyone to go out and get it, to go out and read it. It is truly life-changing and it really changes your perspective, you know, on your life, how you're living your life, how you treat people and how you see the world. And I think that this book is a gift and you did a really amazing job. You should be really proud of yourself. Aww. Well, thank you so much, Jessalyn. and I appreciate your kind words. It really does mean a lot. And you have continued to inspire so many people as well, and myself included. So thank Aww, you for thank what you. you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, I'm so grateful for this. And I know that people listening are just, you've done a really good job and it's inspiring. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it and appreciate your time as well. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. 